Welcome back to another episode. This is part two on the science of addiction. In the previous episode, I made the case that the brain is merely an organ, and we know that chemicals and behaviors, for example gambling, hijack that organ and addict us. Experiments and real-world stories confirmed this. I wanted to devote an entire episode to that for a few reasons. First, that's literally how addiction works. Second, there's a lot of stigmatization around addiction. We think an addict is a type of person, but that's disingenuous. We all have brains that work the same way. There's strong evidence that some of us have genetic propensities towards addiction, but we don't choose those things. Also, inheritance is not nearly as influential as the environment in this case. So much of our environment is not in our control. It's fair to say that people choose to engage in things that can be addicting, but nobody chooses to be addicted. This episode is going to be about the brain. We will investigate the pathway that addiction takes in the brain. Let's get started. Before we begin today's episode, I want to tell you that if you like this content and you want to support me, there are links to my Patreon, Venmo, and more in the description on Spotify, or you can go to my YouTube channel and click in the link in the banner that says support the channel. You can also check me out on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search Planet Peterson on those platforms. Okay, back to the episode. I have previously described addiction as a process. That process is multifaceted and typically changes over time. An addict will escalate their usage, switch to more stimulating products, or develop new methods to get a richer experience. Because of this, addiction becomes more debilitating and takes up more time. As a side note, you wouldn't believe what people get addicted to. The TV show My Strange Addiction featured people addicted to eating glass, toilet paper, cat hair, and mattresses. One person was even eating her husband's cremated remains. Now, some of those may be considered compulsions and not addictions, but that is what they named the show. The first step in developing addiction is experience and memory. If you could, somehow, wipe out your memory, I wonder if that would be an instant cure for any addiction. Memory is a way of recording your lived experience. You don't literally remember every event exactly like it happened unless you have a condition like hyperthymesia. Instead, the brain remembers how the experience made you feel. We are miserable at recalling events with any kind of reliable accuracy, but we know what we like, and we remember the feeling. For example, if a food makes you sick just once, you may develop a complete intolerance to it. Meanwhile, everybody else still likes buffalo chicken. And I say that because that's a true story for me. Our experiences become embedded in our memory. When we reintroduce ourselves to the same stimulants, a specific neural pathway in your brain fires off. If I show you a picture of your mother and we could somehow see everything your brain is doing, what we would see is the roadmap in your brain that connects that picture to your memory. This would be unique in every person and each experience would have a unique pathway. The neural pathway for remembering your mother's face is not the same one for remembering your fourth grade teacher's face. So our particular memories are unique, but they have a set roadmap in the brain. That roadmap can be activated by stimuli other than the thing itself as well. Pop quiz. What is the strongest sense for stimulating a memory? The answer is smell. But every sense is important. 
One of the most powerful memory-inducing things that triggers a bodily response for me is sour warheads. The mere act of opening the wrapper makes my mouth water like crazy. My memory is being activated by the sights, the feelings, the smells, and everything else. This is similar to how cravings for addictive substances manifest themselves and creep into our memory. All it takes is a scene in a movie of somebody smoking or the smell of secondhand smoke to get someone to need a cigarette. But memory is only part of the story. The urge we feel comes from the unconscious parts of our brain, known as the autonomic nervous system. The autonomic branch of the nervous system is our life support. Unlike memory, we need the autonomic nervous system to live. You could, in theory, forget everything every time you woke up and still be functional. The basic functions that keep everybody alive are hardwired into the brain and have evolved over millions of years. The autonomic centers of the brain are located in structures called the midbrain, the pons, and the brainstem. These are above the spinal cord but below the gigantic cerebrum, the wrinkly part of our brain. Some of these regions are referred to as the reptilian brain because they are evolutionarily ancient and associated with reflexes, not cognition. A crocodile doesn't think about ripping your leg off, it just does. Now, to be clear, neuroscientists don't talk about the brain this way, but it is true that these parts of the brain are very ancient. Because of those ancient origins, the way these parts of the brain are wired are, more or less, permanently fixed and identical in everyone. This is very powerful for good and bad reasons. The good part is nobody has to teach you what to do when you are hungry or thirsty. It comes as natural to us as breathing. But it is also where addiction gets programmed into the brain. The midbrain, specifically, is where addiction hijacks our brains. Located in the midbrain is the reward center. Let's talk about how it gets activated and taken over. Memory evolved as a way to help us survive. The mammalian brain has a much greater capacity to learn and remember than other species. Memory is so powerful that the emotional response that goes with an addictive substance or behavior can be more powerful than the body's urge to keep us alive. The rat experiment from Milner and Olds showed that. That's part of why I said last time that there's no such thing as mind over matter and that your subconscious is vastly more powerful than your willpower. There is a cluster of neurons in the midbrain known as the nucleus accumbens. The nucleus accumbens has associated roles with learning, aversion, and motivation. When we experience something pleasurable, the nucleus accumbens produces dopamine. Dopamine is associated with pleasure and reward. Our brain evolved in nature, and dopamine is connected with things that helped us survive in nature. Some of the most powerful stimulants that release dopamine are food and sex. Eating sugar literally makes us feel happy. The brain learned this trick to teach us that, even though we might not know what sugar is, we want it. We want it because our bodies need it. Your brain knows that, in a way. So, step one is a stimulant triggers the release of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens. What happens next? Near the midbrain, located deep in the temporal lobe of the cerebrum, is the hippocampus. The hippocampus helps integrate our experiences into memory. As I mentioned earlier, mammals have very good memory. This is why an elephant never forgets. And we are mammals as well. The hippocampus goes in sort of a loop, and at the end is the amygdala. The amygdala creates a conditioned response to certain stimuli. 
For example, when you eat sugar, the brain releases a certain amount of dopamine that's always the same. The amygdala is responsible for associating the sensations of pleasure with memory. This is how stimuli that trigger our memory cause urges to engage in addicting activities. The hippocampus forms the memory, but the amygdala makes that memory emotional. The amygdala is what causes symptoms of withdrawal. As the effect of a stimulant wears off, the amygdala sends stress signals, leading to anxiety. This is also what causes addiction to worsen. It drives an addict to seek new and more intense stimulants. Drugs, gambling, risky behavior, and more will release dopamine, but as we become conditioned or accustomed to them, the brain releases less dopamine. Perhaps it is because the brain is smart enough to know these things aren't helping us survive. The problem is this leads to escalating usage. Addicts turn towards different substances or different methods which are more powerful. But drugs don't own dopamine. Everything from sugar to breastfeeding to nicotine to heroin causes the same cascading effect in the same regions of our brain. The only difference is in magnitude. If the reward center is triggered by anything pleasurable, why aren't all of us hopelessly addicted to all kinds of pleasurable things? The brain releases a little bit of dopamine when you drink water, but do you know anyone who is a water addict? The difference is that addiction is a submersive emotional experience. Involvement of the amygdala makes it emotional, but the environment makes it submersive. Remember, the Vietnam veterans quit heroin, the most addictive substance we know of, cold turkey, just by coming back home. The environment changed, but why did the emotional component not keep them addicted? The reason is why they turned to heroin in the first place. Boredom. Sometimes addiction is used as a safety for our psychological problems. We use a substance or behavior to achieve emotional stability. If there's one thing we can all relate to, it is our phones. Have you ever left your house to run a short errand, realized you forgot your phone, and thought you have to go back to get it? We waste so much valuable time on our phones. Think about it. Does spending two hours scrolling through Facebook make you feel happier than spending just 10 minutes with your friends? Of course not. But it does make us feel less alone, so we do it all the time. The feeling you get when you're bored and the only thing you can think of is to browse social media, and that feeling you get when you realize you forgot your phone has a name. You're jonesing. I only bring up these examples because we can almost all relate to them. Hopefully you can't relate to the heroin-addicted war veterans. The goal of this episode was to give you a general view of the pathway addiction takes in our brains. Because we all have the same general structure in our brains, and we all integrate experience into memory, we all have the capacity for being victims of addiction. Some stimulants are more powerful than others. The brain could never have evolved to compensate for heroin because nature would never have produced it. People fall victim to heroin and many other things because of the way they hijack deeply ingrained neurological systems. The brain can become numbed to the triggering effects stimulants have on us, leading to the switch to harder substances or more extreme methods. The neurological systems we have exist for a reason, and so does dopamine. The problem, again, is that we are subjected to forces that override our biological systems. That does it for now, but we will have more on addiction in the future. Thanks for listening.